Hey, Crossroads, so great to be with you. Thanks for joining us online through our online campus. Don't forget our hashtag. Uh, send a picture and hashtag Crossroads at home at Crossroads Wired. We love to have you engage us. Uh, we want to take a moment to celebrate all that God is doing through our church. This is an unprecedented time, but God is at work. Uh, this past weekend, we celebrated Easter. We hope that you loved our Easter services, that you were encouraged and challenged and just just uplifted by the services last weekend, Good Friday and Easter. Uh, we had nearly 6,000 people engage us for our Easter services. So thank you for inviting friends and family to be a part of our Easter at Crossroads services. We are thrilled to be able to reach out in that way. And I just want to share with you, if you are somebody that made a decision for Christ, or maybe uh, you're someone who, who took a step of faith last week, would you just tell somebody, maybe right there in the chat, just say, hey, I made a decision last week. Let us celebrate with you what God did in your life, and we are thrilled to have you. We're excited about what God is doing in your lives. Uh, I, I did want to take a moment. We are in a, a kind of a season of what we're calling 40 Days of Gratitude. This is an opportunity for us to show gratitude to our community by, by exuding and demonstrating generosity, but by serving our city and communities well. And uh, I love what God is doing through this. By the way, our first week of service through 40 Days of Gratitude, uh, we served 20 different food distributions, 20 different distributions. Uh, it was over 227 meals that served hundreds of people uh, through our city center, through partnerships for our first responders and medical professionals. What an awesome thing to celebrate. Thank you for your faithfulness to be able not only to give, not only to donate, but also to serve meals to those on the front lines and those that find themselves in a very difficult situation where they can't get out. And we're able to encourage them and help them. And we have heard story after story of how our community is, is grateful uh, for the impact that you are making a, as a church. So thank you for your faithfulness in that. I did want to share with you uh, that our team is already making preparations for the moment that we're going to be back together, and I can't explain how great of a re reunion that will be. We, we miss you. We're excited to see you. Um, our team is prepping for that, but I want to be honest with you and just kind of preparing the way. It probably is going to look a lot different than it did before. There is going to be a new normal. And so I just want to encourage you as our team strategizes about how services will look uh, as we look to what the governor is saying and those in authority, uh, we're going to be having services soon enough, but they may look different. There might be different service times. There might be different opportunities. We may need everybody to kind of spread out a little bit more. Uh, we're going to be taking care of that, but we'll let you know. We'll keep you posted about how that's going to look. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your willingness to be, uh, to be patient with us as we lead through uh, this time that we didn't expect and certainly didn't understand. If you would take your Bibles out with me uh, or your electronic device or right there on your Crossroads app, if you would turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And if you're with us and you don't have a Bible, would you just right there in the chat say, hey, I don't have a Bible, can I get one? And we'll send one to you. Our host will get your information and we'll make sure that you have a Bible. We want you to know that God has spoken, he has revealed himself, and you can know him. We are kicking off a new series that we are calling asking for a friend. Hashtag asking for a friend. Now, if you've ever been on social media, you probably have seen this hashtag. 
In fact, even right now, now you might be able to just on the chat to say, hey, this is a question that I would love to have answered, but I'm too afraid to ask. That's what asking for a friend means. It's, it's where people take a moment and they, they ask a question that they're really asking for themselves, but they're maybe hesitant or maybe even embarrassed by it. And so they're using the hashtag asking for a friend. They're blaming the question on a friend, but they're actually asking it for themselves. I went through Twitter and I found some funny hashtags asking for a friend. And I want to share a couple of them with you because they're hilarious. These are people that want to ask questions, but they're too embarrassed to ask them. Like, like this one by, by Grace. She asked, can you cook bacon with a hair straightener? That's an interesting question. Uh, I think she should try it. I don't know about you. Maybe you should try it, right? Or how about this one from Angel Eyes on Twitter? She said, is it okay to wear a Snuggie to pick the daughter up from school? Hashtag asking for a friend. The answer is yes. The whole idea of being a parent is to embarrass your kids. So wear a Snuggie when you pick them up from school. When we get back into school, wear a Snuggie to pick them up. Wear a costume. Wear anything you want. How about this one? This is from uh, someone on Twitter named Titans Homer, and he asked this. Let's just say a 35-year-old man wanted to go see a Miley Cyrus concert. How could he go and not look creepy? Hashtag asking for a friend. Uh, well, let me tell you, uh, Titans Homer, you can't. If you're 35 years old going to a Miley Cyrus concert, you got issues, <laughs> all right? Or how about this one? Uh, this is from Andrew. What's the appropriate number of hours a day for a grown-up man to spend trying to make a real lightsaber? Asking for a friend. Or this is one of my favorites. This is from, uh, from a guy named Doug. It says, is it bad to drive through McDonald's on your way to pick up pizza for family dinner? Anybody ever done that? I feel what Doug is saying. Hashtag asking for a friend. By the way, I really believe that question came from Doug Taylor, uh, our, our Park Avenue campus pastor. Can I pick up McDonald's while I'm driving to pick up pizza for my family dinner? Uh, the answer is, of course, yes. You can do that. You're in the car. You can get whatever you want. Uh, what a great question. But I want you to think about these, these questions that maybe we're too afraid to ask. We're hesitant. We're maybe uncomfortable. We're a bit embarrassed. These difficult questions that we want to ask, but we're too afraid to. That's what we're going to be looking over the next few weeks. We're going to be asking questions that we hear all the time, but many times people are afraid to ask them. We want you to know that a ch the church is a safe place to ask questions. We are in this journey together, and this is a safe place to ask those difficult questions. So what we're going to look at here today is this question. How can I spiritually thrive while in isolation? Hashtag asking for a friend. How can I spiritually thrive while we're in this season of isolation? And by the way, it will not be the first time we all experience seasons of isolation. It's true. We are in this very odd moment, emotional, emotionally disorienting. It is. Normal rhythms of life have been disrupted. We live in a season of uncertainty. This idea of social distancing, what's allowed and what's not allowed. I think of Think of Ernesto, our worship arts pastor. I mean, he's just walking around saying, I just want to give somebody a hug. I mean, he's hugging trees now. I mean, there's this idea of social distancing that's so different. Events are canceled. Toilet paper has become gold. 
kids are home. And that can be good and bad. The stock market is turbulent. Businesses are closing. Serious economic concerns. And some of you are facing this head on. Some of you are first responders or you're in the medical field and you are touching this every single day. There are others of you, you you've been laid off. You, you've lost your job or maybe you're in a job hunt or maybe you're planning to purchase something and now you, it's on hold. And, and so maybe you're going through a season of the unknown. For others, you're facing the sickness. We, we know people right in our own community that, that have this, right in our own church, that are experiencing the symptoms of the coronavirus. I don't know about you, but it feels like we're just being trapped by walls. It feels like we are being pressed in. It's true, isn't it? You feel that way, I feel that way. It's eerie when you go out. It's different. In fact, just the other day, my wife, Allison, uh, we, she hasn't been out much uh, out of the home, and part of that is there's no need to in trying to follow the orders, and, and so sometimes when I'm here at the church, and I'll, I'll go to a store on my way home, I'll wear a mask, I'll take all precautions. Um, but the other day, we were just like, hey, let's go out. We had to get something, and, and we had to run to the store. I said, let's just go out together, and she hadn't really been out. And I, what I love about my wife is she's very steady. She's not emotionally a roller coaster. She is very steady, but this has affected us. It's affected her. And so we were out, and we actually had to stop by Walmart, and we followed all the rules. We wore our mask. We were careful to stay a distance from people, and we ran into a great family from our church, a great family from Crossroads. And can I tell you, my wife, who's very steady, I watched as she just broke down. We're standing in the bread aisle, and she is breaking down, and I'm like, babe, you can't do this right here. Like, someone's going to think something wrong. And, and I just couldn't help but to be overwhelmed by her sense of anguish through this season. It feels emotionally like, like we're just being crushed in some ways, like we're being held back, like walls are caving in. And I watched as my own family is walking through this as well, and many of you feel those same emotions. You know, the reason we feel that is because we were not designed to be alone. We were not designed to be isolated. From the very beginning, God created us in community. From the very beginning, God created community. He said it was not good for man to live alone. In the perfect world he created, he saw one problem, and it was that man was isolated. There was no one like him. But you know what happens in that story, right? The first thing that the enemy does is create isolation. Think about it. You ever heard the phrase, in fact, you could fill in the blank, divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. Isn't that the way an enemy takes over someone they're battling against. He divides and conquers. The enemy wants us isolated. Why? Because isolation will eventually equal stagnation. When you're isolated long enough, you will eventually grow stagnant. Effectiveness will die. Mission will no longer be accomplished. And slowly, life will just seem to fade. I want us to go back 2,000 years ago to a moment in history not so unlike ours, definitely different circumstances, but a similar feeling and experience. I want to go back 2,000 years ago to the early church and specifically what the Jews experienced. A moment the church was under immense pressure in an unknown time in an awkward season. When we go back historically, the Jews, the Hebrews, 
as the Roman Empire came to fruition, they took people and spread them throughout the empire. They spread them throughout. The Greco-Roman world, were, they were known for this. And there was something called the diaspora. It was the spreading of the Jews from Israel all throughout the Roman Empire. And so there were Jew, Jewish communities in every city. That's why you find much of the letters written by Paul. He mentions the Jews first because they're in almost every city because of the diaspora. That happened hundreds of years before this moment. But in this moment, Christians, as Hebrews, Jews, were becoming Christians, they were facing a, a time of persecution, a time of isolation. They were being torn from their families. As these Jews became Christians, they were losing their jobs. They were facing uh, this moment of, of persecution like none other before. And the problem wasn't just that it was persecution. The problem was it came from their own people. It was the Jews that were persecuting the Jews. They were telling the Jewish Christians, hey, leave this faith in Christ and come back to Judaism. Come back to our religion of following the law. Come back to the rules of the rabbis. And so what happened? Many of them found themselves in a culture of isolation. They were pressed by the Romans, but they were also pressed by their own people. They were being pressed on every side, and stagnation was growing. Some were even falling away. You and I feel this. No, it's not the Romans, and it's not our own people. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a virus. It's, it's the effect of the virus, the fear, the anxiety, the worry. And we can feel like we're being pressed and what happened to them can happen to us. First of all, when, when we feel the sense of isolation and stagnation can begin to build in, we can find our faith spiraling. Our faith spirals. Our faith begins to weaken. If you read this letter to the Hebrews spread throughout the Roman Empire, what you'll find is over and over again, the writer says, do not fall away. Do not step back. Do not drift. Stay in tune to the gospel message. Why? Because their faith began to spiral. Uh, secondly, a rise of isolation can lead to a rise of isolationism. What do I mean by that? Is when people get isolated and when life becomes normal being isolated, slowly as stagnation builds in, we begin to live a culture of isolationism, meaning that we don't need relationships. And so many people in this season can begin to say, well, listen, I don't need the church. I don't need other Christians. I'm good. I'm able to see it online. I'm able to engage it this way. I don't need to engage other people that deeply. And we live in a culture of a rise of isolationism, not only because of the virus, but because of an isolated culture. We see a rise in isolationism where we step back and say, I don't need deep relationships. This was happening to the Hebrews. I, I don't need the church. I don't need to follow. I can have Jesus and follow the Old Testament law, and, and I can follow this and be okay. And then thirdly, distractions become normal. Now, by very def the very definition, distractions are meant to distract us from what is normal. But what happens is, in seasons of isolation, are that distractions actually become the new normal. For many of us, the things that we looked at as distractions in life can slowly begin to become normal season life. 
I was reading an article by the Wall Street Journal, and they said in this season, there is a deep rise, a heavy rise in social media activity. Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat, there is a rise in social media usage. Why? Because our distractions are slowly becoming our normals. And this can be dangerous because I don't know about you, but I've said this before, and we all probably have said in the past, if I just had more time, I would blank. If I just had more time, I would read the Bible. If I just had more time, I would spend more time in prayer. If I just had more time, I would listen to music. If I just had more time, I would rest. But what's happening? We've now been given the time because of this virus, because of isolation. And what's happening in many homes is not more time accomplishing the things we want through the Lord. What's happening is our distractions are becoming normal. Our distractions, and again, those distractions aren't bad, but social media, movies, these things are good things, but they're now becoming our normal way of life. We're creating bad habits. So the writer of Hebrews here, he writes, and he says, listen, this isn't the way it should be. Jesus is better. He's convincing them that the sacrifice of Christ was sufficient and worthy of pursuit. Over and over again, he says this, that there is one mediator that is a mediator of a better covenant. There is a better priest. There is a better sacrifice in Jesus. He writes this, the, the author of Hebrews writes this to say, listen, in the, a season of isolation, in a season of persecution, in a season of difficulty, in a season of the unknown, you can still spiritually thrive. That's the essence of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better, and so you can spiritually thrive even in a season of the unknown, in a season of isolation. I want to take a look together at Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll begin in verse 19. Now, verse 19 all the way through verse 25 is actually one sentence in the Greek. It just carries on. Verse 19 to verse 25, we're going to look at this in sections, but this is one sentence. It just carries on. Take a look with me, verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, First thing I want you to see is this. Number one, that in seasons of isolation, if you want to spiritually thrive, you need to utilize the access you have been granted by Christ. Utilize the access you've been given by Christ. You have been granted by Christ. Now here we are in a culture, in a time, in a season where everything is closed. Right, businesses are closed and very few things are open and the things that are open are necessity things, but we're experiencing closure. I, wanna, I want you to imagine for a moment that a well-known person here in Ohio, maybe it's Urban Meyer or LeBron James and he has still a home in, in the Akron area or, or maybe it's, it's, uh, it's Jack Nicholas, the great golfer uh, from Ohio. There's a great, and take any one of them and let's say they came to you just out of the blue they came to you and said, hey, I know you don't know me, or, or I don't know you very well. Um, you know who I am, but, but you know, I want you just to be invited to come to my house. You can come to my house anytime. In fact, here's the key code to my front gate. And then he pulls out his key ring, and he takes off a key, and he hands it to you and says, this is the key to my back door. 
come over anytime and you can go in the back door. There's some food. There, we got a chef. I mean, you can get whatever you want. If I'm not there, just let them know and come back by another time. They'll let me know. Um, but you have full access. Come on over anytime. Now imagine that for a moment. That would be amazing. I mean, he gives you a key to his house. You have an invitation and you have access. But imagine for a moment that you don't ever go. Now, you certainly tell your friends, right? Hey, Urban Meyer, Jack Nicholas, LeBron James, they invited me over, like we're friends. But you never actually go to the house. You never actually take the step to enjoy the access you have. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. He says, listen, you've been given access based upon all the work of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, all the goodness of God in the gospel. You have now been given access. In fact, notice his description. Verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, how do we have this access? By the new and living way, the fresh sacrifice of Christ that he opened for us through the curtain That is through his flesh. See, when Jesus was on the cross, the temple veil tore in two. Why did it tear in two? From the top down. Why? It tore in two to bring access to a place where only one person had access. It was the high priest, and it was only once a year. But at the cross of Christ and through the resurrection of Christ, he bought a way to have access to the very throne room of God. You have been given a key through the blood of Christ to come to God with confidence. This is the essence of the gospel. We have access to the most holy place of God. That means our greatest aspect of isolation has been done away with. Our isolation with God through sin, that we were enemies with God, going our own way, has been accomplished. The isolation in relationship between you and God and me and God has been taken care of by the blood of Jesus. That is the gospel message. The gospel message is we have access. All through the Old Testament, there is not access. But now, there is access in Christ. And it says this. It says... Verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh. Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. and We have a new high priest. It is Jesus Christ. You know what that means? He doesn't merely show us the way to heaven. He doesn't merely provide the way to heaven, which he does to God. He takes us with him to God and then ministers on our behalf in heaven. He is our high priest. And the result of that truth is verse 19, therefore brothers, since we have confidence. See, when we understand our access, we then have confidence. You wanna spiritually thrive in isolation, remember that you have been granted access to the one place we deservedly have no access to, which is the presence of God because of sin, but yet because of the gospel, we have access to the place that we would be isolated from because Jesus went to the cross, because Jesus rose again. We now have access. We have a key to go with confidence to the very throne room of God. We have been given access. The problem is, I think a lot of us keep, what keeps us from praying, what keeps us from going to God in confidence, is we just don't. We just don't. I I think God is saying in this passage through to the Hebrews, 
Listen, call on me. Cry out to me. If you're hurting, tell me. If you're mad, unload on me. I can handle it. If you're afraid, cry out. If you're anxious, cast your care on me because I care for you. I'm convinced God is saying that he would rather us be honest than merely walk away. So let me ask you, are you utilizing the access you have in this season in the midst of isolation to come to a God that you are not isolated from because of the gospel message that Jesus came and died for you? Are you taking advantage of the key that's been handed to you to find your strength, to find your, your power to get through and endure to God? That's the question. Are we finding him as our strength? See, full access then leads to full living. So what happens here is he says, you have access. Go confidently to the throne of grace. Go confidently, boldly before God. You have access because of Jesus Christ. If you have a relationship with Christ, you've been given the key. Then he follows it up with three phrases that begin with the word, let us. Let us. Let us. These are the three lettuces of Hebrews chapter 10. Let us do this. Now it's plural, meaning we get to do it together. Let us, together, as the body of Christ, as the church. Now you might say, well, we're not together. No, these things are meant to remind us in isolation that we are together. So he says these three things. Utilize the access we've been granted by Christ, and then let us, together, go after these things. Take a look at what he says in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And thirdly, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So he grants us access, and now he says, let us do this. And I want to give you three thoughts that relate to this. This is point two, three, and four. Number two, let us check the sincerity of your faith. This is a season to check the sincerity of your faith. I want to imagine when you take the car and you have that check engine light on, and they go in and they plug that, that little instrument into the diagnostic area, and they diagnose the car. What's the problem? Why is your check engine light on? You and I are called in this season to check the sincerity of our faith. Take a look at what he says, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Notice the word true heart, full assurance. He says, here's what I want you to do. This is a chance to check your heart, to come before God, to draw near with sincerity of faith. I believe this is a time, this is a season that begs that question. This is a time not just to sit back and put our feet up. This is a season where God has given us a pause to really check the sincerity of our faith. What are we really trusting in? This season will reveal our true faith. This season will reveal whether we are of full assurance. Notice, full assurance. Not just that we have assurance, but we have full assurance. It's, it's calling us to check to see if our faith is genuine. I love this word true. It's the word aletheinos in Greek. 
my wife's name is Allison, and so this is the Greek word, aletheia, truth. It, it literally means sincere or without hypocrisy. It refers to the idea that the heart is not divided with loyalties. The heart is singularly focused. There's no hypocrisy. There's no putting on good in front of others while living a different way behind the scenes. He's saying, check to see, are you fully engaged and is your faith actually true? Are you really trusting Christ? Are you really trusting God in this season? If you are, draw near. And then he says this, notice. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Notice he says, this is a moment to check your faith, but also to see what are the sinful areas of our life, to sprinkle your conscience clear and then to wash your bodies, spiritually speaking, of sin. This is a chance to get rid of sin. He uses what would be considered sacrificial language to describe how we come to the Lord, how we find uh, spiritual growth in the midst of isolation, in the midst of an unknown season. Now, I love these words here, sprinkled our conscience clear and then, and then washed our body. The word here, words here in Greek are in what is called the, it's a perfect participle, the perfect tense. And what it means is it was done by God in the past, it was done for us in the past, but it continues to have effect on us. Meaning, when you come to Christ, your conscience has been clear. When you come to Christ, your sin has been forgiven. Your body has been washed, you are clean. But now we have to continually appropriate that. Now we have to continually live in that truth. It is continual, God has already done these things, but now we have to have the right attitude toward these things. So the idea is if my conscience is clear, I don't condemn myself. If my conscience is clear, I make sure to check my conscience. It means if my body is clean, sin doesn't have to live here anymore. All right, think about my own house. Um, sometimes when I go out and work in the yard or, or I'm, I'm maybe find myself in a muddy situation, I'm wearing some old clothes. There have been times where I've gotten muddy and, and I'm working, putting mulch out or I'm digging some dirt or something and I'll come in and I look at my clothes and I'm just like, I'm going to throw them away. I mean, these are old jeans. They're, they got holes all in them. This is a sweatshirt I wore for 10 years. and I can just buy another one. It's not expensive or anything. And I'll just look at it and throw them away. And, and my wife always caught me and she'll say this line. She'll say, Dave, you know we got a washing machine. Like we can wash that. Like I know you can go buy a new one at the thrift store, but we can wash that and you can use it again. But it's filthy. It's muddy. It's, it's got mud cake to it. But we got a washing machine. That, that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, listen, draw near with a true heart and full assurance, but know and realize that you've been forgiven. Know and realize that you've been cleaned. And so sin doesn't have to live there anymore. This is a season to check our faith and to put our uh, sinful tendencies to check at the door. To say, I'm going to check on my sinful tendencies and put them aside. This is a season to check our hearts to check our hearts and see where we're really at, to check our sinful thermometer, our temperature, our sinful temperature, and say, where are my sinful tendencies lying, and can I check them at the door because my conscience has been cleaned by God and my body's been washed by God, and I have to continue to apply this in my life with the right attitude. That leads to number three. He brings up another let us. Notice what he says, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope 
without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Number three is this. In a shaky, unknown world, hold tightly to hope. Hold tightly to hope. See, in a world that's shaky, in a world of the unknown, in a world of isolation, it's easy to to waver, it's easy, easy to swerve, it's easy to go one way or another. And the writer of Hebrews, in the midst of an unknown season in their day, says, hold on without wavering to the hope that you have because he's faithful. Hold on to hope. Now when I read this, I can't help but to think when I was in second grade, there was a young lady in my elementary school class named Shannon and Shannon was afraid of heights, and there was a bunch of friends that talked her into going up this tall slide that was in our, our, school, um, our school back property. It was a, a, a park area, and we would go there for recess, and uh, there's this, you know, those slides that used to be all metal, and I mean, in the heat of the summer, they would give you third-degree burns. I mean, they were hot, but they could fly. And a bunch of friends talked her into going up and going down the slide. And so she's climbing, and when you're climbing, they just kept telling her to look up. And I remember in second grade, Shannon gets to the top, and she looks down, and she holds onto the pole, and she won't let go. She will not let go. The teacher comes over and goes, Shannon, you got to come down. Just come down the steps. She goes, I can't. She is frozen by, by her fear of heights. Eventually, they have to call the parents toward the end of the day to come and help her get down. The teacher was up there with her. There were, the principal came out. It was a big to-do. She would not let go of this. Well, she was so afraid to let go. This is the image that the writer is giving to us. Listen, if you're going to hold on to something, hold on to a hope in a God who is faithful. Now, when you and I think of hope, we think of hope as based upon uncertainty. Now, think about this for a moment. When we say, I hope for something, I hope this ends. I hope to be able to have that restaurant open. I hope to be able to enjoy sports again. Anybody missing sports? When we say, I hope, we're actually dealing with uncertainty. Our hope is usually connected to something uncertain that we're wishing for. It is a desire that we have for something uncertain to become certain. But biblical hope is different. Biblical hope is not based upon uncertainty. Biblical hope is based upon expectation. So when we read this, this verse, 23, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hope is a confident expectation that we know the end, that we know God is in control. We know that he is faithful, that he will do what he says he will do. That's why hope can't be halfway hope. Hope is an all-in hope. Hope is trusting a source to bring the right response in the right time. Let me ask you, what is the source of your hope? In a season of isolation, if you want to spiritually thrive, you get to check your hope. What are you holding on to? Are you holding on to the government? Again, I think we ought to support our leaders, but I don't find my hope in the government. Are you finding your hope in doctors? I think we should pray for them. I think we should support them. I think we should love them. We are praying for you in the medical professional, but you, we don't put our hope in you. Uh, is our hope in spiritual leaders? Uh, we don't put our hope in humanity. That's uncertainty. 
No, for you and I, my hope is in the one who spoke the world into being. My hope is in the all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God of the universe. My hope is in the one who heals deaf ears, opens blind eyes, and can raise the dead. That's where my hope lies. My hope in an unknown future is in an known God. In an unknown future, my hope is in a known God. Where's your hope? What are you holding fast to in this season? Is your confession your hope in a faithful God? Is your confession of hope in a temporary God with a momentary faith? Or is it an eternal God with unwavering faith? That's the question. That leads to the third, let us. Take a look at what he says, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some. Now, here, they were facing an experience where they could not meet together. Many of them, being persecuted, couldn't meet together like they used to. But their act as a church, the body of Christ, was continuing. And that's the writer of Hebrews saying, listen, you can meet. It just looks differently. By the way, for the first time in history, when the church has been scattered, by the way, throughout history, church, the church has been scattered, but the first time in history, the church is scattered, and yet we can still be together because of technology. We can still encourage one another because we're connected. We can still uh, worship together, and, and we can still serve together. We can still celebrate together. It's the first time in history the church has been scattered and yet together. Throughout history, the church has been scattered. This was one of those. The Jewish church, men, many of these Jews, they were scattered. They were being persecuted by their own people. They could not gather, but it didn't stop them. See, he says, let us, and notice what he tells them. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And then he says, not neglecting to meet as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day of Christ coming, drawing near. This is number three, that we in the midst of isolation, if you want to spiritually thrive, stir one another on toward mission. This is number four, stir each other toward mission. He says, stir one another to love and good works. I love this word stir, literally, it's a negative word. It, it literally is the word irritate. Irritate each other prod each other, prick each other to move on. Let's consider each other and say, let's not stay where we're at. Let's not be satisfied in isolation that will lead to stagnation. Let's not be satisfied to see our faith begin to spiral. Let's not be satisfied with our distractions becoming normal. No, let's stir each other up to love and good work. And then he says, but encouraging one another. I love this word. It's the word parakaleo in Greek. It literally is the word used for the Holy Spirit to come alongside, to come alongside one another. Literally, this idea is to pour courage into one another. See, when you want to deal with isolation and loneliness, you do that by empathizing with other people. Instead of focusing on our inward self or our inward issues, we focus on what God has done outwardly with others. We stir each other on. It's saying, I'm not only committed to God, I'm committed to you. And so I want to stir you. I want to push you. I want to encourage you. Let's go. Let's go after the mission of Christ. Let's have love and good works. I'm committed to the commission, the great commission with you. I see that in our church right now as we serve our community. 
as we serve our region. I love the fact that we are a church that stirs one another on to love and good works. We are saying, listen, we're not going to be in the habit of not meeting. It's going to be a day we're going to be back together, but we're committed to the cause. Even when we can't meet, we are committed to the cause. You know, I believe in this current crisis. It is an opportunity for us as the people of God to rediscover ourselves, to rediscover who we are. Can I tell you? You and I are carriers. We are contagious. You might say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not, I, don't, I don't think I have the virus. No, no, I'm not talking about the virus. You and I are contagious, and we are carriers with the truth of the gospel message. You and I are carriers of hope. We, we are carriers of love. We are carriers of faith. The question is, is what I'm carrying worth catching? Is what I'm carrying worth catching? That's what the writer of Hebrews is getting at. Listen, you have access to God. You've, you've been given this, this forgiveness and you've been given full assurance in Christ. Your hearts are clean. Sin doesn't have to live there anymore. We are carriers. We are carriers of a hope that is unwavering in a God who is faithful. You, you're carriers. You are carriers of love and good works that God has called us to. I was saying this to somebody else the other day. I, I am a carrier. I'm a faith spreader. I'm a love giver, and I'm a hope dealer. That's what we are. We are a faith spreader, we are a love giver, and we are a hope dealer. In this world of isolation, instead of focusing on our isolation, instead of focusing on the government, instead of focusing on what every other leader is doing, instead of focusing on what news is going to come out today, what if we said, I'm a carrier of something greater than a virus. I'm a carrier of faith. I'm a spreader of love. And I'm a dealer of hope. Can I tell you, if the gospel is real, if Jesus rose from the grave, if Jesus died on that cross, if it's real and relevant, and the church is truly bigger than our building, now is the time to show it. Now is the time to live it. As A.W. Tozer said, a sacred world needs a fearless church. And can I tell you, a sacred world needs a fearless Christian. Listen, you're feeling isolated? Draw near to God with confidence. You've been given access. You, you feel isolated? You want to spiritually thrive? Check your heart. Check the sincerity of your heart. Don't have a bunker mentality. Have a life-giving mentality. Don't hunker in spiritually. Go after the Lord spiritually. Check your sinful tendencies. Hold on to hope without wavering. And stir somebody Message somebody. Right now, even in the chat, maybe you just want to sit there and go, hey, hashtag asking for a friend, how you doing? Hey, hey, how can I pray for you? Right now, in that chat, say, how can I stir you to love and good works? How can I encourage you right now in the season, especially as the day of Christ draws near? How can I encourage you? Take a moment to do that, even right now. Stir someone toward mission, because when we're on mission, we know isolation doesn't happen. Stagnation doesn't sit in. In isolation, we're actually useful. I want to pray for you. If you're here and you don't know Christ, you're watching, you don't know Christ, right now is the time. Right now you can go to live prayer, hit the live prayer button. We have somebody waiting to pray for you. Jesus died for your sins. He walked out of the grave. He can give you a hope, not an uncertainty, but a hope in expectation.
And right now, you can know Jesus Christ by faith. Not hope so, maybe so, think so, but you can know him. Just hit the live prayer button. We would love to talk with you how you can know Christ. You're watching this, and, and you're, you're spiritually maybe sinking right now. This is a time to dig in. This is not a time to bunker in. This is a time to dig into Christ. This is a time to go deeper in your walk. This is a time to allow your hope to be greater established, your, your heart to be more sincere, your mission to be more sure. Would you even right now say, just pray for me, would you? Just right now, just share that. Say, hey, would you pray for me? We would love to pray with you. Uh, God, I want to thank you for this reminder. God, we can spiritually thrive in isolation. We don't have to sit back and watch our faith spiral. We don't have to sit back and become isolationist in our act actions. God, we don't have to sit back and, and allow our hope to waver and our, our new habits to actually be old distractions. But God, in this season, we can thrive. We have access to the greatest thing in the world, the greatest thing in the universe, and that's you. We can come confidently to you. God, we, we, have, uh, we have our hearts that have been rescued by you, and now we can live with full assurance. We can cast sin apart because, God, we don't have to give in to it. We've been washed. Sin doesn't have to live here. God, our hope can be unwavering. Our, our mission can be firm and sure. God, may we stir each other to love and to good works in a world that is fearful. May we as a church be fearless and faithful. God, we love you. We thank you for your gospel message that grants us access to a relationship with you. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. And it's in your name, our God and Savior, your name, who is the God above all, even a season of isolation of social distancing, a season where we are emotionally distraught and God, we're wondering about the future. We turn our unknown future to you, a known God. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen.